Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. Welcome back to another episode of Hormone Health Podcast. I am with Mrs. Sniffles here today. I know. I keep picking up preschool sickness, which is frustrating. We're like a couple of weeks into the year and already I've had a head cold. At the end of last year, it was school sores, which I had not... I had, I had no idea what a school sore was until they started appearing on Otto, and I thought, this is disgusting. Remember, you came in and you took your Band-Aid off. You're like, is this okay for me to have? I was like, oh. I that? had, for reference, I just had one on my forearm, and the band, I was, like, reacting to the Band-Aid. Like, it oh, sure. There. And I was like, Chloe, <laughs> I don't have any in-person appointments. They're all online. Can I get away with this? And she almost, like hit her back against the wall i thought it was like a burn <laughs> or something anyway anyway yes so miss sniffles this week uh with a head cold let's hope that um we can get some reprieve but we had the most amazing conversation with dr soji swaj he is an endocrinologist based in sydney and he works at a hospital and he also has a private clinic where he sees his patients but we spoke to him all about PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It was fascinating, wasn't it, Georgia? It was fascinating. I learned so much. He is a wealth of information, um, and we really go deep in terms of the understanding of what PCOS is and how ridiculous the name is for the Mm. diagnosis. Because, number one, we're not dealing with cysts, and we're also not dealing with a syndrome here. It's so much more complex than that. Um, And that really sort of gives people who are diagnosed with PCOS that added complexity. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about insulin resistance. We talk about Olympians. We talk about perimenopause. It's just fascinating. And we also talk about a fascinating concept um, called myocytokines, uh, which has an involvement with PCOS and its sort of its role in improving symptoms. For me personally, I was diagnosed with PCOS um, when I came off the pill in my sort of oh, late teens, early twenties. And there was so much confusion there for me. And at that time, I hadn't started my health degree, um, but I was fascinating, fascinated in understanding more about it because there's so much negative stigma associated with PCOS, such yeah. as infertility or, you know, that you're going to have all these sorts of symptoms, hair loss, acne, facial hair growth, um, weight, whereas, gain. weight gain, you know, and it's sort of like it, it, it gives that person almost like this stigma to say um but it's so individual depending on the person and Mm. there's no particular body type because yes you can be in a larger body and have pcos but not always yeah and there's such a scale isn't there and we talk about that today we talk about the stigma of fat shaming we talk about um how we need to ditch the scales and how as teens 
and it's, well, I don't know, we, we, uh, without giving too much away, this is a really good episode to listen to. So if you have been diagnosed with PCOS, you think that you may have PCOS or even a loved one or a friend, have a listen to this episode or pass it on because it is a real insight. Soji Swaj is an endocrinologist and metabolic physician practicing at various locations in Sydney, who also teaches and supervises at Sydney University. Dr. Swaj delivers specialist consultations in a large number of diseases affecting the endocrine system and has an interest in polycystic ovary syndrome, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome, which we will dive into today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. I want to know first up, Throughout your sort of medical training and medical career, had you always had a special interest in hormones or how did you naturally progress into endocrinology? Okay, that, that's an easy one. I, I happened to be on the ward one day when I was a junior registrar and uh, the endocrinology registrars all wanted to go away on a conference and they so they convinced the head of department that I was brilliant and made <laughs> it all up simply so I could cover for them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my accidental entry into endocrinology. Yeah. But then once I got into it, I loved it. And um, it's because it just covers the whole breadth of medicine, but also the journey from young people, from 13-year-olds all the way through to 90-year-olds. So. Yeah. Hormones are a fascinating topic. Mm, and I think, much. you know, when people sort of think about hormones, traditionally it's like estrogen or testosterone, but there's so much complexity in, in hormones. Very much so. Very Do you much. have a type of client that you see or more in like um, in your private practice? So so in, for example, in, in hospital, unfortunately, we'll see um, this tsunami of type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome with inflammatory mm-hmm. disorders, heart attacks, strokes, and the, the complications of diabetes. In the rooms, we all have our different uh, biases. And so over the last 20 years or so, I've sort of developed uh, an experience or expertise and an interest in polycystic ovarian syndrome and metabolic syndrome. And so, the, you know, the classic patient that I've been referred to over the years, and I see a lot of them, is, doctor, I've tried everything to lose weight. And uh, and young women who don't even realise they've got polycystic ovarian syndrome but have been struggling to lose weight and been told to go away and lose weight and they just can't. Mm. And so I, I tend to have, see a lot of boys and girls with that frustration, and it's incredibly rewarding to help them on their, on their journey. But there's, I mean, there's a set of hormones, which we'll talk about later, if you like, that I'm really interested in, which is a bunch of hormones released when you squeeze skeletal muscle. They're called myocytokines. Yes. So, And these are hormones people don't talk about because we can't ne- easily measure them and we can't sell them to you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not the going to be on a regular blood they're test. Not, they're not going to be discussed. You can't measure them. We can't make, a, make any money out of them. But they're called myocytokines. And for me in my practice, they're the number one drug that I use. Squeeze someone's skeletal muscle, you release hormones that are anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetes, fixed PCOS, fertility, dementia, anti-aging. You're going to have to dive into that now, immediately. Do you just tell people to start squeezing their muscles or what does this look like in clinical practice? Yeah, great question. I try and avoid the E word because no one's keen on exercise. I'm mm. far too busy and important to exercise. I've got too many things on, so I'm not going to use the E word. No, I actually prescribe a dose. So you may not, you may know that. I mean, insulin resistance is the it underpins 
polycystic ovarian syndrome, diabetes, metabolic syndrome. So you know that insulin, uh, a crucial hormone from the pancreas that, mm -hmm. that basically binds the insulin receptor and facilitates glucose transit into the cell. And so one of the key things when I explain to patients, so a woman, let's say a woman with PCOS, and I'm sure you do the same thing. We explain it to them. Mm -hmm. Let's say, and the first thing I say to someone with a referral letter that says PCOS, of course, explain what a stupid, pompous title that is. Yeah. It's, developed by it's confusing. It's, it's confusing. so confusing. It's And why it's actually counterproductive, this title, is because it contains the word cysts in it. Mm -hmm. it well-meaning doctors will try and be helpful by sending the woman for an ultrasound before seeing us. Now, completely unnecessary most of the time. So the poor thing goes for an ultrasound, told by the radiographer, oh, sorry, this has to be an internal examination, which is completely inappropriate for a lot of women as well, invasive and unnecessary. And sad because they didn't need the scan in the first place in half the time. So the diagnosis of PCOS doesn't need to be made with an ultrasound. And as you know, shouldn't be done anyway in an adolescent woman because half of adolescent women have got cystic-looking ovaries, if that makes sense. And they're given this diagnosis that almost breeds that sort of negative stigma of fertility, well, future fertility. Yes, and well said. Hold yeah. on. Can I tell you a brief horror story? Please. Um, so when you tell someone you've got PCOS, I've had a mum bring her daughter, 18-year-old daughter, to see me for referral. And as she walked in, her tummy came in before she did. She was pregnant, significantly yeah. pregnant. And I was taken aback but reasonably cool about it. And I asked, um, what's the situation with the pregnancy? And they were told, you've got PCOS. You won't be able to have children. And so the mum said to her daughter, hurry up and get pregnant with your partner, your boyfriend. Oh, yeah. I know. What a disaster. Mm. The wrong information. Now, that can be either given to her or misinterpreted off Google that she'll have difficulty having kids. So that's where stigmatization can be potentially disastrous. Right? And secondly, I'm now advocating for that. Why don't we just get PCOS tattooed on girls' foreheads yeah. for the rest of their life so that she feels obliged to tell future partners, I've got PCOS, mm. babies, which is nonsense, right? Yeah. Thirdly, why? Because... PCOS is a fantastic business opportunity for assisted fertility. Mm -hmm. Completely. Oh, good. Have I got the solution for you? Let's do some IVF, right? And not necessarily addressing the underlying insulin resistance. Yeah. And the third thing I do is after trying to debunk the name PCOS, I've got a new name for it. So mm -hmm. if you've got PCOS, we've been told you've got PCOS, first of all, let's describe the symptoms and the signs that come into that syndrome, the irregular periods, the oligomenorrhea, the tendency to excess androgen effects, such as the facial hair, acne, thinning hair, um, the tendency to just look at food and put on weight. And as soon as you mention that, just look at food and put on weight, the tears start to flow because these women will often start, hang on, someone gets me, someone understands. Mm -hmm. And so the fat shaming can finally stop. Mm -hmm. The medical fat shame. Those phrases such as, you know, it's just energy in, energy out. Have you heard that before? Oh, oh yeah. Goodness. That's called gaslighting. It's called medical, medical gaslighting. Yeah. That's implying that I'm a greedy guts. Mm -hmm. So and so. And why the F45 six week challenges don't work for our PCOS clients. Correct. Correct. So if you just lost a bit of weight, all of this would be sorted, right? Just go away and lose some weight, even 5% of your body weight. 
That's madness because the next thing a doctor might do is measure her BMI. Do you know why doctors measure BMI? Why? So they can call you the O word. Yeah. Right? I've had a 16-year-old sent to me with a letter saying, thank you for seeing this morbidly obese girl. Mm. Yeah. Say, for heaven's sake, she's going to read that letter and be stigmatised for life. And the patient mm-hmm. is going to be, doc, it's been happening forever. I always get that. It's awful, isn't it? Awful. And we have to stop it. And this, the final thing I'll say on that subject is um, it's almost a form of abuse that I'm really interested in. I tell my patients about it. We take five-year-old girls in this country and we say, darling, come and stand on the scales and see that number, the kilograms, that correlates with how pretty you are. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't do it to boys. We only do it to the girls. And Which is horrible considering 10% of the population will have a diagnosis of PCOS. Oh, and Up to 15%. Oh, yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, right. So we don't do it to the boys. We just do it to the girls. And so I can prove that trauma exists because every boy that comes into my room will happily jump on the scales, take mm. their keys out of their pocket, but they don't care. Every single woman from the age of 16 to 90 would say things like, oh, do I have to, Doc? I hate this. I'd rather not look. Can I take my shoes off? Yeah. So we've got to stop weighing girls in particular. Stop putting them on the scales. And one of the first things I say is, do you have scales in the house? Please get rid of them because I'm terrified your five-year-old might see mummy standing on the scales. Mm-hmm. And instead, yeah. there's a concept in terms of metabolic wellness, which I'm sure you guys use as well, is a concept called your, your fighting waste. The waist circumference on a warrior where she's at her peak performance on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Her speed, her resilience, her cognition, her, th- her thinking, her skin clarity, her period regularity, the waist circumference on her where she produces babies whenever she wants. She doesn't come to my diabetes clinic. We prevent oncological problems. And finally, the waist circumference where she looks in the mirror and says, geez, I look good in those jeans. Yeah. Then we're done independent of kilograms. Absolutely. I think that's a huge part of our practice also is ditch the scales. There are many other metrics that we can ask you about in terms of how you feel about yourself. And not e- yeah, and not even that that there's like more emerging research actually looking into the topic of of the detrimental psychological impacts that pe- people who are diagnosed with PCOS have faced faced with and their relationship with body image and their relationship yeah. with food. And when it's reinforced by I hate to say this by a male doctor, right? Um, almost as bad as if your dad says something so i've had girls traumatized and with uh, eating disorders now because dad poked her in the side and said oh you're getting a bit porky Little yeah. things like that, right? mm. so, and finally the other thing is as you the real reason why kilograms are counterproductive in pcos is when we get them to do the the key exercise or the regime that improves insulin resistance resistance exercise mm. which releases those myocytokines what happens to their weight yeah it goes up or stays yeah. the same so therefore it's counterproductive but the centimeters will definitely come down mm. and the insulin will come down absolutely absolutely yeah. and we should talk sometime about the concept of measuring insulin levels in the blood Ooh. because it's a bit fabricated it's not as easy as what we see is that well, right it's, actually, it's frowned upon by the endocrine community yeah right? there was a medical journal of australia paper published by you know my, my colleagues several years ago actively saying please don't measure insulin levels one of the reasons is because the assay for insulin um, was not set up 
or calibrated for to measure insulin resistance. If, we, if you may recall, you measure an insulin level, should be in the fasting state, if you did, and the levels might be between 0 to 20. Mm-hmm. Well, if the insulin's really high on that fasting state, yeah, you've probably got insulin resistance. But if it's in the so-called normal range, you still could have insulin resistance. So that assay was calibrated to pick up people with insulinoma, a tumour of the pancreas producing insulin levels in the thousands, mm. not for insulin resistance. Because some labs will do from 0 to 10 and some labs will do 0 to 20. Correct, correct. They're not set up to measure insulin resistance. A HOMA index yeah. may be useful, mm-hmm. but much more importantly, a history. Take yeah. a history from this person. Only have to look at food and put on weight, can't lose weight, irregular periods, and critically on the neck, skin tags on the neck, mm. in the armpits, dark patches under the eyes. It's a clinical diagnosis. It shouldn't be based. So therefore, my point is, if someone comes with an insulin level, and occasionally I will check insulin levels, it's very reassuring for the patient because someone's believing them now, someone's mm. trusting them. They're not just a greedy guts or lazy. But then you don't need to keep measuring the insulin levels. And I'll explain why, because they insist on having their bloods checked to see the insulin levels coming down. And the reason I say don't is because if PCOS, my analogy for PCOS is a, uh, I call it extension class. Let's say you've got a six-year-old girl who is several times cleverer than her cohort. Is that her fault? No. She was born that way, correct? Mm. Why is it a big problem? Her parents keep getting called into school because she's playing up in class, because she's bored. Mm. On the sixth visit, the parents say, we can't keep getting called in. You have to do something. Can you give us some drugs to dumb her down? Is that the correct solution? Yeah. What is the correct solution? To this find, her, find her people. Ideally, yeah, we'd be fostering our children into their unique well, strengths. Well, put her in the extension <laughs> class. Yeah. Pick her where she belongs. She's not yeah. normal. Genetically, she's not normal. She's got an abnormal IQ. So let's say you normalise her and stick her back in a normal cohort. She'll play up again, correct? Mm. I'll say to the girls with PCOS, you've been playing up for 10 years. Yep. Extension class girl who's hanging around normal girls in the suburbs and you now believe that you're a normal punter when you're not one. If I stick you in your appropriate extension class, you're going to be fine. And the way I prove that to you is because I look after a bunch of women just most Thursdays a tribe of genetically abnormal women called Olympians. So I look up Olympic athletes, professional dancers, netball players, hockey players, and rowers at the top level. And those girls have a huge instance of PCOS. Mm -hmm. Now, when they leave the extension class and they slip off in their modesty into the suburbs, little old me, I'll just be someone's wife or mum, their waistlines expand, periods become irregular, and they start to make a lot of money for fertility doctors. I can mm. already think of a handful of clients. Yeah, that me too. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the history, so when women are sent to me with weight loss difficulties or irregular periods, and classically they've got insulin resistance, whether they've got PCOS or not, and you're taking a history and I'll say to them, I won't say, did you play sport? I'll say, you played sport, didn't you? And she'll look at me oddly, and I'll say, it was netball, wasn't it? And then she'll look at me even more oddly. And then I'll say, goal attack or whatever. And it'll turn out, because as you can tell, as soon as they walk in the room. It's like you're a clairvoyant endocrinologist. Start squeezing their muscles. Here's another one. I call them go-to girls. They get the job done. They don't suffer falls easily. Don't take any crap. They marry well. 
they're alpha females. That's so I'm the opposite of a goat. <laughs> <laughs> but when they retire from the battlefield, and netball is a battlefield, yeah. um, they nearly always marry high-quality DNA, who knows what to say. Don't worry, love. I don't care if you get a bit chubby, you're still beautiful to me, the usual. And she hates that. But as a waistline expands, she gets the full gamut of PCOS symptoms. Mm. Never have been allowed off the battlefield. So therefore, that's a proof of the extension class theory. The Olympians, mm. the swimmers, the rowers, they all, they're heartbroken when they leave the Olympics because they go to the gym six times a week and eat nothing and still can't lose weight. Mm. My classic was an Olympic shock with a lovely woman. She was a banker. She and her husband wanted to conceive and they couldn't. And no matter what she did, just couldn't lose the weight. And no one's thought to lower her insulin, lower her waistline, lower her insulin, all that sort of stuff. And because when we're sort of thinking about PCOS, um, the the recommendations or first-line recommendations are really around lifestyle nutritional management, assuming that there is going to be that element of insulin resistance. Do you see people skipping that part and trying to go straight to you or in terms of trying to avoid that? I think um, lifestyle, I'll often tell my registrars not to use the word lifestyle because yeah. it's, a, it's a brand of condoms. Oh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> but, but, no, but the trouble is lifestyle is something that gets dismissed by yeah. doctors. Why? Mm-hmm. That's sort of allied health. Yeah, okay. The doctor. I do drugs and operations. Yeah. I'll outsource the lifestyle, the diet, the exercise to the dietitian, the exercise physiologist, the psychologist. Let me just do the drugs. It's awful. So what we have to do is make a prescription. We're trying to to encourage doctors to prescribe the food you want them to eat, prescribe the exercise you want to eat. That means the exercise prescription. In my practice, there's an anaerobic prescription and there's an aerobic prescription. This is exactly what I want you to do. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. (laughs) Right, because I'm a hypocrite. I'm hopeless. I won't do it unless you make me do it, right? So do the following. I'm going to help you take one centimetre off your waist every week. If you stand on the scales, I will shoot you. Yeah. But here's a tape measure. Every Saturday morning, I will show you exactly how to measure the waist circumference at the Swaraj point. Have you heard of the Swaraj point? I'm learning a lot. About 20 years ago, I got frustrated trying to get junior doctors and GPs to measure people's waists. And the reason they didn't want to measure waist was because anywhere between here and here, if you get a doctor to measure my waist, they'll get five different readings. Yeah. So what I did was to encourage colleagues to measure the waist in a way that all three of us can reproduce is teach patients about the top of your sternum, Mm -hmm. bone dips into your neck, run a tape measure 40 centimetres downwards and put your finger there and that's where you measure the waist. And 40 centimetres down from the top of your sternum is a virtual navel. I don't trust the navel. Yeah, it's virtual. The virtual navel, and that's where I measure the patients every time I see them. And I, I love that because that's going to be a lot more consistent than the scales or whatever. It's the same spot. And people say, oh, what if it's a tall or whatever patient? Did you realise that all of our thoraxes are the same height? Now, it's the reason why, you know, when we go to the cinema and we all sit down, we can see the screen? Yeah. Right? It's because all our thoraxes are the same height. If you're tall, it's because you've got long legs. 
Well, there you go. Right. So 40 centimetres down, virtual navel, just trying to encourage every naturopath, dietitian, doctor, whatever, we all measure the same waist. Mm. Now, then I teach the patient, please do this for me exactly the way, and every Saturday morning write it down just for fun with a smile on your face. And because it's quite rewarding to see it coming down. And psychologically, during the week, you're thinking about Saturday morning's measurement. And one centimetre is 1.4 kilos of fat. Mm. So if I see you in 10 weeks' time, there's six centimetres off your waist, nine kilos of fat. I know you will look different. Your skin's going to be different. Your mood, your sleep quality, your energy, the periods might be more regular. It's possible that you fall pregnant because of that, right? If we combine waist circumference reduction, your weight may have gone up because of muscle mass, because I prescribe six doses a day of farm work. Oh, so, Does that come in a tablet? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I'll show it to you. Can I show it to you? So this is my number one tablet. Yeah. So effectively, what I'll say is at some point, if I go back to, let's say, either of your ancestry is Northern European, it certainly doesn't look bloody Indian, that's for sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's say we go to a Northern European farming village 600 years ago, pre-industrialization. And... Let's say the crop fails on that village and there's no Centrelink. What happens to everyone? You starve. I can't okay. imagine it's a positive outcome. But no, you starve and then what happens? I mean, you die. You die. Yeah. Nature, as you know, and Darwinian evolution doesn't like the whole village to die. You're going to have some genetically abnormal individual who, for some strange reason, can get by on the smell of an oily rag on yeah. no carbohydrate because she's got insulin resistance. She's got a defective insulin receptor. So when she releases insulin and it binds the insulin receptor on the cell of the surface, it doesn't work very well. So as a result, the glucose levels in the blood remain high. She can maintain high enough blood glucose levels for the brain. And the high insulin levels she has to release as a compensation mechanism help her store fat for a rainy day. So and this is the the underpinning or the etiology of, of how PCOS came about because, you know, for those certain people, we want to keep populations alive. We want to keep communities alive. Yeah. So if a yeah. woman loses a lot of weight, typically she becomes infertile. Yeah. These girls do the opposite. When they lose a lot of fat tissue, they become more fertile. So this girl is a, it's a protection mechanism. Mm. So let's say she wakes up in the cave walks out of the cave and sees the men go hunting and the women gathering. Because of her insulin stimulating her ovaries to produce more testosterone, her high testosterone levels make her driven, a bit more male-like in terms of aggression, competition, strategic thinking, getting the job done, the go-to girl. So she joins the men on the hunt, then goes back to being a mum, right? And so I'm not sure if you watch the Vikings on the History Channel. But yeah, I've watched the Vikings, yeah. Uh, so there's a character, there's a bunch of characters called shield maidens. Are you looking at their hairlines if they've got received no, PCOS? I was, I, no, I was looking <laughs> at their adeptness in battle. Yeah. Oh, these women allowed to put down their saucepans and join the men on the raid. They happen to be better fighters than the men, right? So it may well they were our female Olympians. High testosterone, aggressive, competitive, as well as fantastic mums, but strong and capable. So if you let these people do five times more lifting, carrying and digging on the farm, they're releasing five times more myocytokines that lower your insulin 
these cytok- these resistance exercise releases hormones that fix the insulin resistance. It's the number one form of exercise for these people. So let her do five times more lifting or fighting than everyone else. She's fine. Let her eat once in three days when she feels like it. Happy as Larry. Narrow waist, regular periods, strong, you know, uh, and no diabetes and good fertility. But some clown went to that village in Northern Europe, dragged her off the farm and said, no, darling, you can't do five times more lifting than, than all the other girls because that's weird. Mm-hmm. You definitely can't eat once in three days because mum won't like that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to fly you down to Bougainville, Sydney. Yeah or New South Wales, we're going to give you a fridge full of food. And instead of letting you eat when you feel like it, we're going to ram it down your throat three times a day. From the age of two, we're going to force feed you five times more petrol than your tank needs. Mm. All through primary and high school, you're going to be thinking, how come I'm a little bit chubby and all my friends are skinny when I eat the same as them? Right? We're going to fat shame you because you must be secretly squirreling away food. We know you are. That's why you're chubby not realising that we've been force-feeding this girl from the age of two by making her eat breakfast, lunch and dinner, do as you're told, finish what's on your plate. We don't waste good food in this house. You've heard it all, right? Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this concept of force-feeding. So don't leave the table until you've finished yeah, your food. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well-meaning based on depression, era and values, right? Mm-hmm. Because we want to raise brats who are ungrateful. But there's a reason why that three-year-old girl played with your food and then ran off to play. She's had enough. Mm. And she may have insulin resistance. She can get by on the smell of an oily rag. But how many good mums are going to allow that? Yeah. I know it's something that I'm teaching my children and my partner struggles with it. And I say, well, if he goes to bed and he's hungry, you'll learn that perhaps maybe he'll eat more if he's hungry. But particularly with... Might not even be hungry, and particularly with toddlers. My son's three and my daughter's 18 months. Like, their appetite is all over the shop. So yeah. it's it, it can be hard to rewire your brain as you become a parent, particularly if you have these uh, preconceived ideas around food. Um, Very much so, because we were told that. It's what we were told. Mm. Two toast for breakfast or two wheat bix. You've got to eat it before you leave. You're not getting up to you. are not leaving for school until you've done it. So there's two groups of people I think will force feed us to an early death. The first Grandmas, who, nonnas. Yeah, the first who, who love you and they'll fret if their food doesn't get into you. Nonnas, the worst culprit. Yeah. And those, and the second group is those that love your money, the food retailers. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'll say to these women in particular is listen to yourself, listen to your body. They've often been made to feel really guilty by dietitians in the past who've used this famous phrase, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. Now, the evidence for that is so weak there's a reason why all of our PCOS patients don't eat breakfast or skip breakfast. They're not hungry. Mm-hmm. I think these girls were wired to run out of the cave and join the hunt, not to sit down next to a skinny blonde dietitian next to the fridge in the cave mm-hmm. and have a feast that she doesn't need. Mm-hmm. So I'll say eat when you're hungry. I think Don't it's, want- yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, but I was just going to say, um, for somebody who has been diagnosed with PCOS, understanding that etiology of where PCOS has either originated from or the reason why it's yeah. actually and not a result of a maybe exacerbated but not caused by on its own, just a westernized overindulgence. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you're taking away a negative stigma. It's all your yeah, fault. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And which they do 
they do I guess I'm adding a positive stigma, which is to say, well, actually, it's the athlete of the village. Yeah. You're not normal. Sorry. Get over it. <laughs> Clearly, you haven't got a normal IQ. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing the profession that you're doing. Get over that. Mm. I could normalise you by asking you to go and work at a supermarket and stack shelves all day, and within two hours, you'd be homicidal. Mm. inappropriate normalization well now i want you to know that you don't have a normal mq or metabolic quotient if you're the athlete of the village insulin resistance means sorry no fault of yours you were designed to do five times more hunting farming or fighting than the normal girls so let's get you in that direction not never again comparing yourself to a normal woman compare yourself to your peers the olympians that i look after right you are designed to do five times more, so don't be hard on yourself. And with PCOS, for our people, um, for people who are listening, is this lifelong? Does you do you notice that it um, is this diagnosis lifelong? And what do you notice after um, somebody with PCOS is able to fall pregnant in terms of their hormones postpartum, and even more so into that um, postmenopausal or menopausal time? Sure. Um, look, insulin resistance is a bit like your IQ. Um, I have no intention of dumbing you down. And I, I see insulin resistance as a gift. It's an unfortunate gift because we don't live in hunter-gatherer times anymore. And in fact, we're in an obesogenic environment, sitting at desks in front of computers and being force-fed. So we have to address that. But let's say you've got insulin resistance. It's a bit like your IQ. You'll always have insulin resistance, but let's manage it. I can't get you hunting, but I can get you seven days a week doing the farm work that you were meant to do. So to simulate the farm work that releases hormones, I'll be getting you to prescribing you six doses a day of 20 reps. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do your six. You can go to the gym if you like. That's what rich people do to hand out cash. But let's assume, <laughs> right, that seven days a week, you're a farm hand. There's chores to be done on the farm or the kids don't eat. And why? So six doses a day of 20 reps. You don't leave any bedroom anywhere in the world ever again without giving me 20 reps. It'd be sit-ups, squats, push-ups, I don't care. Then you're going to go into the bathroom and never again are you going to brush your teeth just standing there admiring yourself in the mirror when you could be giving me 30 squats. Right? That's two doses done now. Swaji's watching. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. So four doses done. So six doses a day, give me 20 reps, which is a pathetic attempt on my part to simulate the farm work your ancestor was doing. But she'd laugh at us if I asked her to do that. And it's accessible to anybody financially. Absolutely. We don't need a gym. Go if you like. If you want to put on Lycra and look at yourself in the mirror, good, good luck. But <laughs> give me my farm work every day, seven days a week. Secondly, give me a 30-minute fast walk every day before work, lunch break, after work, or a Zumba class on YouTube or hockey training or whatever you're doing. But give me 30 minutes of something every day. Your body comes first and everyone else can wait. Mm. Now, as you mentioned into pregnancy, yes, of course, the three of us enjoy helping these women fall pregnant without fertility assistance if possible. In my practice, it's, it's joyful to combine metformin, a 100-year-old French lilac derivative, mm -hmm. which lowers your insulin, beautifully unblocks the insulin receptor and helps women fall pregnant protects pregnancies, prevents gestational diabetes, maybe anti-cancer, anti-dementia, and helps reduce your waistline. So for lots of reasons, I throw metformin or myo-inositol into the mix, but with the resistance dose, the aerobic dose, 
And to lower the insulin nutritionally, I lower the grasses. So there's a species of plant that is toxic to us, grass. Horses and cattle can eat it. But when we eat grass, our insulin goes to the roof. And the grasses that we're addicted to are wheat, rice and sugar. So I'll yeah. say, please feel free to have a bite of someone's birthday cake, chocolate, ice cream, whatever you like. But do it on one day a week, on treat day. Mm. The other six days, increase your vegetable carbohydrates and try to limit your wheat, rice and sugar as much as you can. Can we go back to metformin quickly? I think there's um, a lot of sort of, again, a negative sort of stigma around medication. But I think it's important for people to know that there's there's, um, benefit to these medications to regain a cycle because, as you just mentioned, it's not good to go for a really long time without a period. Yeah. If if you're going to do 12 hours a day on the family farm, seven days a week, lifting, carrying and digging, you don't need your metformin. Mm. but who's yeah you don't but it's so impractical to do that Mm -hmm. i give you three bits of lettuce a piece of carrot and a glass of water every three days you will lose fat and you'll fall pregnant Mm. but it's not practical nor is it fair or sustainable so if in a process we understand you are going to be at your desk you are going to be seated and you're not going to do the exercise you need to do you are going to have some carbohydrates creep in and it's going to take a while to reduce the waste and restore your periods Why don't we cheat? I have no problems with cheating with metformin. If it's cheap and safe, safe in pregnancy, protects pregnancy, it's got all these other benefits. If it's going to have side effects like nausea, diarrhea, well, there's 10 different brands. We can always find a brand that you can tolerate at a quarter of a tablet buried in the middle of your dinner while we're doing all the other things. I think, too, it can give people motivation and a whole new mental look on a diagnosis of PCOS when perhaps they've been struggling their whole life and have just been told to go and lose weight or, you know, it's all energy in, energy out, eat less, move more, and have found no benefit. And totally agree. I'll give you two examples. I I, I was treating our fastest sprint cyclist, right, an Olympian, came up from interstate to see me. Imagine how much training she does. She couldn't lose her perceived spare tire. Mm-hmm. So had a quiet word about lowering some of the cereal carbohydrates, increasing her vegetables and proteins, and eating ad libitum when she feels like it. Added metformin, four centimeters off her waist, which is six kilos of fat. Yeah. Right. Um, professional rugby players take seven centimeters off their waist, and performance goes through the roof using metformin. Because you're not diabetic, you can come off at any time you want. It's not lifelong. You can go on it, come off at any time. And as long as your GP is happy to keep an eye on your B12 levels, where's the problem? Mm. That's a good adjunct, but it's the it's it's a sideshow. It's not the main game. The main game is the farm work, the understanding, and the mindset change. And that's education, right? The yeah. the person that you're speaking to needs to be aware that it's multifaceted. It's not just one is going to be the you know the star standout. Yeah. It's a combination of everything that you're doing. Well, exactly right, and also motivation yeah, uh, and emotional engagement with them so they know that they're safe with you and, you know, there's someone who there's a trusted relationship. And in terms of a team, so if I'm seeing them in collaboration with you, I'll be saying these are things I'll be doing with the limits of my knowledge, but when you see these guys, they'll be coming from a different angle mm-hmm. and the, the magic that they're going to weave 
will basically all tie into this story and maybe take you down different stories, but it's all going to be complementary. Mm. For example, the berberines and the myonositols, which mm. doctors don't temporarily tend to prescribe. But yeah. Know that it's all synergistic. And improving your health now to regain a cycle will hopefully improve your health during pregnancy for risks of gestational diabetes and very, very much so. So the same PCOS strategy, which I use for type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes, we're going to try and prevent you getting diabetes in your pregnancy. Then mm. if you do happen to get gestational diabetes, we're not going to freak out about it, right? We'll stick a Libre on you and monitor your glucose, mm. but we'll have you doing the same resistance training, the aerobic training, the carbohydrate dosing, right, to try and treat you without insulin during your pregnancy. And in these um, perimenopause and menopause clients with a previous history of PCOS, yeah. do you tend to see more metabolic syndrome with them or how do their hormone profiles change as they start to stop having really, a period? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a lot of women in their 50s and 60s will come to me with their metabolic syndrome, a tip-off or they've got a, a referral from a friend who's seen me and they'll come along hoping to lose some weight. They've tried everything. Half the time they're coming asking for Ozempic or Manjaro or whatnot. Sander. Yeah. That's Sander. That's right. But Manjaro is now here and there's going to be a race for all these GLP ones. And I've used them all extensively and they're amazing for some people. But layered upon all the other things we've just spoken about, the motivation, the understanding of insulin resistance, metformin, all that sort of stuff. And then adding the GLP one agonists on top of them where appropriate. All right. And then you'll ask them, as I do, about menopause symptoms. Oh, yeah, hot flushes, sweats, dryness down below, painful intimacy, lack of libido, the full gamut, mood swings. Has anyone done anything? No. Why not? And you, you both know the reason. Because of the Women's Health Initiative study, what, 15 years ago, that showed this link between HRT and breast cancer, mm. basically millions of women around the world came off their HRT and suffered. Crazy thing is, with our current preparations of HRT, low-dose estrogen, topical gels with a tablet from, we've got, now got safe low-dose HRT, which will obliterate a woman's symptoms and restore her quality of life. Within a couple of days. Like, oh, it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal, right? So what I'll say to women is there's two groups of women that I typically see. One group of all women go through menopause. Some women go, oh, yeah, I get the odd flush or sweat, but mum went through it. I'll be right, doc. Leave me alone. Sure. Then there's another group who suffer for the following reasons. Don't suffer. First, no. quick, safe, safety check. Have you had regular breast checks? Did mum or sister have breast disease? Do you smoke? Check, check, check. Fine. You're low risk. And you're suffering? Right. You're having HRT. Low dose. Feel wonderful? You owe me a case of beer. Right. <laughs> But then what do we do? How long do we stay on it? Right. You're going to discuss it with your GP or your naturopath, whoever you're seeing regularly, and you're going to come off it every few months, say every four or five months, and see if you still need it. How easy. So we can minimise exposure to your body of oestrogen when you don't need it. I feel like a lot of the clients that we see in clinic is more convincing them to be proactive about seeking, you know, or starting their script of, of HRT or MHT to just be like, you deserve to feel okay. You don't yeah. have to suffer. Same Correct. with PCOS. Yeah, you use the term deserve. It almost implies that some people feel that's my fate. I was meant to suffer. Mm. And I guess educating people, no, you don't need to. We've got the technology for it, right? Mm. First of all, ask her if she's got symptoms. 
A lot of women, no one's asking. I'll give any, the male corollary, erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. But ma- males with diabetes, for example, no one asks about their erections. So if my registrar, a fantastic uh, young woman, school captain of Abbotsley um, in the hockey team, is now is now seeing um, a 60-year-old truckie, is she likely to ask him about his erections? I mean, if so. We do. <laughs> like yeah. so. You'd like to think so, but it's not high on her list of priorities. Yeah. But for them, that's... You know, if that's impaired, that's impacting quality of life and not only them but their partner. But is he going to ask someone who looks like you about his Mm. erections? Maybe Mm. not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sounds sounds sexist but reality. No, it's true, yeah. So what's my vested interest in encouraging young female doctors to please, please ask? Why? Gosh, well, I mean... It's not just because I, I want to help him get his rocks off. I, no, but hormonally it'll that's have important. systemic effects. Well, ac- exactly. Right. No, actually, erectile dysfunction is an early warning sign for silent myocardial ischemia. Yeah. You might pick up that silent heart attack, right? Mm-hmm. So it's lots of vested interest. So that's your male example of people not being asked about things that we can help them with. Mm-hmm. And I do, so you ask. Yeah. So with girls, I just don't think girls engaged in that menopause conversation enough. Mm, yeah yeah I, I guess it's a, a message and i think we've got to, we i think we need to promote this message more in the community which is um th- certain things are easily seen and diagnosed oh, diabetes here i'll send you to a diabetic specialist um okay you're not having babies i'll send you to a fertility specialist but there's this underlying chronic inflammatory condition called metabolic syndrome which applies to boys and girls Mm. older people younger people teenagers and relating to one hormone insulin and we're not going to go around putting everyone on metformin although we joke about putting it in the drinking water Mm. (laughs) but what we can put in the drinking water is an awareness to say well don't fat shame people who are chubby but be aware so if you're treating a woman who survived breast cancer be aware that she might have daughters who suddenly stopped playing netball because of a knee injury. Four years later, her waist circumference has expanded and I see her sent to me from the breast clinics. Yeah. So why did we let her get breast cancer in the first place when we could have reduced her waistline subtly before she got the cancer? And I don't think we're doing that preemptively enough. Well, the cancer specialists are sending all their women to me with breast cancer for me to put them on metformin and reduce their waistlines. The urologists are treating men's prostate cancers, not really realizing they've got sons who are going to get that same corner office, same million dollar salary, waistline expands, and he's going to get cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not doing enough of, you've heard of survivorship? Yeah. We're not doing pre-vivorship. Yeah, okay. We're not getting to people before they get things like cancer. Yeah. And like you said, there's that, are people asking about, you know, erectile symptoms or urinary symptoms or those sort of questions or preventative health? Yeah. 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 And also, do 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 you guys treat men with erectile dysfunction? If they come in to see, yeah, see we us often for it. see men in a couple's fertility setting, yes. uh, and so it'll come up in conversation quite quickly, uh, particularly when couples have been trying for. Months, years. That he actually has got erectile dysfunction. Mm. Okay, and so and so you give him you give him assistance with that. Oh, that would be a referral. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Can I let you into a little tip? Please. 
So basically, when I treat men with erectile dysfunction, there's lots of issues with confidence and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So one of the tips I actually say to them is, I'll give you this and I'll help you restore your erections on one condition. You don't tell your missus. Yeah. You'll say, no, doc, we share everything. I said, well, don't share this. It's none of her business. Yeah. And the reason being is because sometimes after menopause, her confidence and self-esteem might drop. Ah, yes. But all of a sudden, if this caveman starts chasing her around the paddocks for intercourse, (laughs) her confidence is going to go back up. She doesn't need to know it's because of a pill. Oh yeah, for you, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're beautiful, right? <laughs> I didn't. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, can I ask, from your perspective as an yeah. endocrinologist, do you believe that PCOS is um, too easily diagnosed, or do you think that it is gaining an increase in terms of diagnosis, adequate diagnosis? Look, I can't quote that the incidence is going up because I haven't got that data. But what we do know is that adiposity, chubbiness, metabolic syndrome, diabetes is exploding around the world. And because insulin resistance is the underpinning to that, it would make sense that we will see more and more young women with PCOS, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's on the street, in our rooms or whatnot, you will see these young women who are clearly chubby in in the playground. And then if you explore it, um, you'll find, hang on, their periods are irregular, they're troubled by acne, self-esteem, and no one's bothered to notice and put it all together and get her referred and treated. Mm. She's just going to spend 10 years, and that's one of the biggest complaints with PCOS, the number of years spent undiagnosed and unhelped. Right? Doing all the diets. Doing well, no, all maybe the... not, not even, maybe yeah. not even, just not realising that I've got a problem and um, just, oh, this is just me, I, maybe I'm just overweight and that's me. Mm, until it hits diabetes or cardiovascular disease or, you know. Or, or mum picks up that her periods haven't happened for the last year or so and she takes mm, Yeah. A random question to throw at you. If if it weren't to be named PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, do you have another name that you'd prefer it to be without the cyst part or have you ever thought yeah, about it's, that? It's a, great, it's a really good question, isn't it? So we we have to come up with a better name. Yeah. When the patient's in front of me, I'll explain to her, you've got, you've got, you're the athlete of the village. I'm sorry, yeah. right? You're the extension class girl who's escaped. I'm going to shove you back where you belong, right? We're going to change your mindset now. You do not have a disease, right? If basically you were doing what your genetics intended you to be doing, um, like for example, classic is they've stopped playing hockey. They've stopped dancing. And when I ask how long did you dance for, They've been dancing for 15 years and suddenly stopped when they went to uni or something like that. So I guess I haven't yet got a new name for it, but effectively, you know, almost, you don't want to call it a syndrome either. No. Sounds like I've got a disease, right? So what I do in my consultations, I try and remove that name. Yeah, because cyst we use for acne cyst or cyst full of pus or, you know, it's it's not cyst. It sounds horrible. And they're not even cysts. And when they come in, though, this this is an answer, if you like. First thing I do when someone comes in, I say, look, great to meet you, and I've got this letter from your GP, but I'd love to know what bothers you most. Mm. You start off with the thing that bothers her most. Okay, well, let's fix that. And then we can deal with all the other things. So I teach young registrars, have two problem lists, hers and yours. Yeah, I love that. But start off with hers. Great. I think we can leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been phenomenal.
Oh, it's such a pleasure. And thank you. And I've learned something. I've learned a lot. So it's really nice to collaborate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you.